So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Metal Pit Podcast uh, with Christina and Georgina. Hi. Please join us online at themetalpit.org and subscribe to the Metal Pit Podcast. Uh, we're on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash themetalpit, or just look for us um, as the Metal Pit. So today on the agenda, uh, Georgina and I are going to be talking about Rush, which happens to be my favorite band, which is um, why Georgina has kindly asked me to uh, guest on the show. Uh, we're going to be speaking about them and uh, their landmark, the classic album, Moving Pictures, uh, the grand poobah of all Rush albums. Um, yeah, this actually is, you know, I, I have to say, I think Hemispheres is their best. This is my favorite. This is my favorite Rush album. Um, I have so many, so many memories, good, bad, in between tied into this album. And it's just been such a big part of my life, but um, let's just kind of dive in um, and discuss when we first heard the band, first heard the album, uh, things of that nature. So um, Georgina, I will let you take over from here so I can hear a little okay. bit of your story. All right. Sounds good. Well, I'll admit um, I was first introduced to this album by my older brother, who was a technical drummer at the time. And Rush was probably the first progressive uh, rock band that I ever heard of. I was like, what is this? And I just remember my brother like playing drums on his on his lap and, and banging on like pots and pans and thinking of these, uh, you know, Neil Peart and everything. And, and I'll admit, I, I had no idea and never heard of them before. But once it is and I was exposed to them, you know, from my older brother, I was like, just completely hooked. And I remember the first song I ever heard was Working Man uh, from 2112. And the rest was basically history. And I remember my parents were blue collar people. And when I heard that working song, that working man, I was like, this is really good stuff. And eventually, you know, uh, this was going back a little bit, um, a few years, you know, quite a few years ago. I saw them perform a few times at Radio City Music Hall. And heck, we I even saw them with you, Christina. Yes, Jones Beach. Wasn't that awesome? I, I still remember yes. to this day. I remember that was a great night. Yeah. Wasn't it? Like, and I remember the weather was great and the whole nine yards. It was just like mm -hmm. the full rush experience. Um exactly. Uh, we, yeah, we didn't have the best of seats, even though we were like a little high up there. <laughs> right it didn't matter though it didn't matter it didn't matter because you know you're with your friends and everybody's like kind of with the same mindset you know rush fans you're getting a good contact high right yeah. <laughs> the show and the music you know one of the greatest rock bands to ever grace the planet i am i am just going to make a quick correction working man is actually on the band's debut album um the very very first album the self-title that they did with john rutsey rest in peace um that, oh, that actually just, you got me you stopped yeah, me there there you yeah, go that, that album actually just celebrated an anniversary march 1st 1974 mm. okay um, came out yeah isn't that crazy like, they're 40 49 years old 49 oh years God. old that album yeah oh can you imagine i don't believe it i know, I, I know it's crazy it's crazy yeah it was yeah. it was definitely you know speaking of that jones you know the jones beach um uh, performance i mean this was just we got to see them perform this masterpiece. Yeah. Yep. Yep. In its entirety. That was, yeah. 
It was incredible. Yeah, that, that was an incredible tour. That was an incredible tour. Um, definitely uh, getting to finally see all of those songs played. Because I mean, I mean, over the decades, I saw them. I, I, I not in the triple digits. Um, not like some people I know who saw them. You know. 150 times and things like that I guess yeah. several dozen you know um in the area of like 40 to 50 probably um you know I'm so clapping I'm clapping, and, you know. I'm clapping. oh my god <laughs> I, I actually did see them in Toronto too um mm. in the summer of 97 so that was like uh you know you got to make that pilgrimage right it's, it's like seeing Kiss at Madison Square Garden you know you, you had right. to see Rush you had to see Rush in Toronto because that's where it all started but yeah, and for me, like they're one of those bands that were always there, you know, um, in the seventies. Because you know, I was I was a little kid, you know. Yes, yes, I was I was around in the seventies. Um, I think <laughs> I was probably too too little to to like get it. Like it was it was catchy. It sounded good to me. Um, I didn't really understand it, but I liked it. You know, I remember you know having older cousins and friends who, you know, listened to it with them and and that kind of thing. You know, you hear them on the radio. Um, for me, it was, uh, permanent waves, um, you know, hearing, uh, spirit of the radio, you know, mm -hmm. on the radio, you know, free will, um, that really kind of turned me on to them. And then, uh, it's actually this album, seeing the video for Tom Sawyer on one of those late night TV shows, like on a Saturday night or a Friday night. Um, I, I can't remember which one it was. I mean, it was, you know, we're going back like 40 some odd years but um what was it u69 i remember that u69 i don't i don't know no it was it was some kind of it was a show that was on like regular network tv mm. but um but yeah from, from that point on that's that's really when I, I was i think it was just just at the right age like it was just perfect timing um you know coming into like the um like the tweeny kind of age um kind of thing where it just it it finally all started to make sense you know <clears throat> And then again, just, you know, over the decades, seeing them, you know, dozens of times and, you know, it's, it's sad, you know, there'll never be another Rush show um, or album to buy, but I'm grateful, you know, I'm grateful that, uh, you know, I had the experiences, but I did, I made a lot of good friends, you know, because of this band, um, mm -hmm. a lot of great memories. So, you know, grateful for all of that, but um, so yeah, let's, um, you know, I guess jump in and, and talk a little bit about, um, a little background, I guess. Yeah. You want to start with that? Of this album. Yeah. You want to start with a little bit of background? Um, yeah, okay. I think, uh, I think that'll, uh, that'd be a good idea. So this album was recorded, um, between October, November of 1980. Right. And, uh, in June of 1980, the Rush wrapped up their Permanent Waves tour. They had toured for like 10 months for Permanent Waves, right? And it was a very successful tour. It was their first tour to finally turn a profit, right? These guys were actually able to like, you know, buy a house, <laughs> you know, uh, pay some bills, you know, they were actually making money. So the original plan was they were gonna record um, their second live album because remember they had done All the World's a Stage. Um, you know, they were going to record their second live album and then they decided they kind of wanted to ride this high, right? Like this, this creative um, and, and commercial success and like this creative high. Um, they had a lot of ideas brewing, you know, it was a really good time for them, you know, um, you know, creative wise, like they had a lot of ideas brewing, successful tour, they were feeling great, you know, um, creative juices really, really flow, flowing. Um, so over the summer, 
they went out to Stony Lake, Ontario, to the farm of singer-songwriter Ronnie Hawkins uh, to write and rehearse. You know, wrote what they had to write, and and you know, just kind of you know get everything locked into place. Uh, they went back into into the studio. Now the studio is is a famous uh, famous part of Rush history because they recorded so many albums there. Uh, the Police recorded there as well. April Wine, uh, so many so many acts, so many artists um, recorded there over the over the years. Sadly, the studio has has since burned down and it was um, you know completely demolished. But um, it was a type of place where uh, when you went there it was in it was in uh, Marin Heights in Quebec um, in the Laurentian Mountains. Very picturesque, very beautiful setting, um, you know, surrounded by nature and uh, things like that. The opening of Natural Science, where you hear the tide pools, that's actually Alex and Getty in the lake, kind of like splashing around with with oars. So just give you an idea of the type of setting that we're that we're talking about, right? So um, they would live there and work there, um, you know, for months, months at a time. And it was great because, you know, it was there in Canada and close enough to home and that kind of thing. So they worked seven days a week uh, to record and mix this album in 10 weeks, right? So now the studio, when they recorded Permanent Waves, had a 24-track console. Uh, by the time they were recording Moving Pictures, they had a 48-track console. Um, and at the time, it was, you know, state-of-the-art and, you know, one of, one of, like, one of the first ones in, like, the world, probably. Um, you know, and this, the 48 track uh, really helped them achieve like this bigger sound that they were going for, right? And the songwriting became much more concise, right? Because remember these guys in the seventies had these big, you know, um, sci-fi epics and these big grand, you know, um, long concept tracks, you know, 20 minutes long, 2112, Hemispheres, Singus X1, you know, all these, you know, By Tour on the Snowdog, all these long epic tracks that they have become known for. You know, by the time they had done permanent waves, um, I mean, they had natural science, right? Um, you know, which is an epic track in its own right. Um, but they were kind of, the songwriting was becoming tighter, more concise. Um, songs were getting a little bit shorter, but still packing, you know, um, that same punch. So basically, moving pictures sort of creates this bridge um, between the prog rock of the 70s and the hard rock of the 80s, right? And it really did become a timeless classic. If you mm-hmm. listen to any other, any other Rush album, right? You know, 2112, uh, Fly By Night, it sounds like the night, it sounds like something that was recorded in the 1970s. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know? And everything that they did after that sounds like the 80s, it sounds like the 90s. This, you know, you can plop somebody down today who's never heard this before, which is kind of weird because I think like probably, you know, with this being like the grand poo of all Rush albums, um, you have to have at least heard one song from this album, but if no one's ever heard this album before, um, you know, if they were to hear it today, you know, I feel that they would think this was something that was recorded today. Um, and it's one of those albums, you know, you could listen to it a hundred times a day, every day till the end of time and still hear something. <laughs> right. um, you know, and, and it just, it doesn't get stale. Um, it, de- it definitely doesn't. And and I must admit, just talking about uh, Stony Lake, Ontario, I, I want to go there right now. <laughs> I feel like... Oh, know, me too. <laughs> pack our me too. Let's go me on to Stony Lake, Ontario and just kind of yeah. play songs all day. Yeah. But um, I, I have to 
kind of agree with you here on a, on a lot of points um, on on this album. I mean, the Power Trio created what is today regarded as one of the greatest progressive rock you know rock albums of all time by by any artist. Mm-hmm. You know, riding the coattails of their like you know massively like successful album like permanent waves um it's an absolute masterpiece honestly and i say this with all my heart uh the production value uh, the the it's by far the band's tightest one all the notes are carefully considered like each song is passionate and stimulating uh, anyone's mind and it's a unique experience to remember. Like this, this album definitely uh, stands out uh, for me as a point in time, great memories, and it's just a masterpiece. It, it really, really is. Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, we, I know with all that said, uh, you know what, Christina, let's talk about the songs on the album now. Let's kind of dissect the album. All right. Sounds good. Um, so the album opens with, of course, the classic Tom Sawyer, which um, again, um, unless you've been living under a, a tree stump uh, somewhere <laughs> in, the, in the middle of uh, Stony Lake, Ontario, <laughs> you know, every, everyone is, has heard this song. I mean, my mother could even recognize the song. Um, this, is, this, is the, this is their career defining song, right? Um, and it actually, the song actually first came to life, believe it or not, uh, titled Louis the Lawyer, um, which is kind of cute, actually. But uh, uh, lyricist Pied Dubois, he worked with um, the band Max Webster, who was also a Canadian band. Uh, they and Rush toured together back in the day, did the song Battle Scar together. Um, and Kim Mitchell as well, right? Everybody knows Kim Mitchell. Um you know, they, of course, became friends and uh, Pi sent me all some lines and ideas. Um, mm-hmm. This little, little, you know, poem, I guess, called Louis the Lawyer. Uh, Neil kind of reworked it. Well, he didn't kind of rework it. He reworked it. Um, right. Reworked him into the story um, about this uh, cynical rebel, right, um, who comes to find some good in himself and in the world. Um, so the iconic, that iconic synth sound, right, that it opens the album, it opens the song. Right, you know, that sound that kind of makes you, you know, you throw the horns, you kind of go, yeah, whenever you hear it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something actually that Getty would play during sound checks, right? And uh, kind of builds on it from there. So it's, uh, the songs are only about only four and a half minutes, right? But, you know, I think it packs, it just packs so much punch and it, it sets the tone for the whole album, right? It's big, it's, it's just badass, it's bombastic. Um, the whole band is just, is, is off the chain. Neil is an absolute beast right? He's just a beast on this song. Um, you know, it's a slow song. Tom Sawyer is a slow song, but he plays it fast, right? He does all this busy, 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 busy stuff, you know, like, just like, yeah, that's right. I'm the up here. I can do whatever the hell I want. You know? <laughs> it's just, it's great. You know, um, he really, he really shines here. I mean, the, like I said, the whole band, you know, um, is, is just amazing. But the fact that, you know, he's, he's playing it playing the slow song fast, um, it really showcases, you know, it's really a showcase for Neil. Um, so, you know, kind of has like this, uh, and it's, it's kind of a weird song to, you know, to be like a, like a quote unquote hit, you know, 
um, you know, it's got like that, that, you know, keyboard uh, synth sound. It's got uh, almost like a faux rap, you know, kind of thing going on. Um, mm. And then that middle part, right? The little keyboard solo, um, you know, Alex kind of jumps in. Right mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which was, uh, you know, and it ended up becoming one of, it ended up becoming like their most uh, well-known, their most, their, their, their most well-loved song. Um, <clears throat> and actually, um, I read something recently um, where Neil Peart's father said that this was actually his favorite song, uh, which I thought was really sweet. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and this actually, Moving Pictures, um, I meant to say before, this is actually their, their top selling album to date. Um, 2112 is their second best selling album. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, what what can I say, right? It is their most well-known song, like you mentioned, and this defiant, bass-heavy Tom Sawyer that just really is is so recognizable. This whole song, the intro, a modern-day warrior, lean, mean stride. Now, yep. right? It's simple to see how Tom Sawyer still sounds as new today as it did mm-hmm. when it was originally released, right? Exactly. Almost, yeah, almost decades ago on the scene. It is decades ago. It's 42, it came in 81. Mm-hmm. Uh, 40, 42 years Man. of this album, yeah. Really and I've probably, I've probably listened to it 10,000 times per year <laughs> since 1981. I'm not ashamed to admit right. that I, I, I wore out several copies of the vinyl. Right. Uh. <laughs> cassette. I mean, forget it, you know. Well, you gotta love it. You yeah. gotta love it. So you know what? Let's, let's segue into Red Barchetta. Let's talk about that next. Yeah, Red Barchetta. Red Barchetta. Red Barchetta. So yeah, most a lot of rock bands have uh, songs in their catalogs about cars. Rush is no different. Um, This was actually inspired by a short fiction story written in um, 1973. Uh, The author was Richard M. Foster, and it was in the November 1973 issue of Road and Track. Um, It was titled A Nice Morning Drive. Mm. And uh, so Neil based this on that. He actually uh, met Richard M. Foster. Um, You know, he had tried to contact him, I think, in like 81 and wasn't able to track him down. But um, you know, years later, they actually did meet and he wrote an article about that as well. Mm. Um, so Neil's tale is set in a maybe not too distant future uh, where motor cars are outlawed, essentially. So now the car in the story, in Foster's story, is an MG. Um, but in Red Barchetta, it is a perfectly preserved red Ferrari I66MM Barchetta. It's actually the, it should actually be pronounced Barchetta because that's how you pronounce it in Italian. Um, The guys didn't realize that they were actually mispronouncing it until a few years later. Um, But it's fine because personally, I think it, I think red Barchetta flows a little bit more easily than red Barchetta. So we'll let that one slide. (laughs) As an Italian American, I will, I will let that one slide. Um, (laughs) But 
this, the whole song, the lyrics, the melodies, the dynamics, you know, the ups and downs, the ebbs and flow in, in this song really create this sense of movement, right? And excitement um, as, as, you know, as we head out on the road, you know, you can, you can hear him, you know, running to the garage, you know, you can, you can hear the excitement in Getty's voice as we're, we're running toward the garage, you know, we see the car, um, you know, gets in the car, the engine's running, uh, revving, um, you know, and then we're racing along with, you know, just total abandon with, with the wind in our hair and, you know, maybe the music playing and, um, you know, that kind of thing. Even that, that middle section, right, you hear like, you know, the tires squealing and, you know, the way Alex comes in with the solo, um, you know, really gives you that sense of, you know, the twists and the turns and, you know, the tires really, you know, hugging each curve of the road, um, you know, as we're, as we're, we're flying along. Um, eventually though, uh, our protagonist, um, as he's speeding along, he's confronted and chased by some kind of futuristic flying vehicle. It doesn't really say, um, it's like a gleaming alloy air car, um, right. confronted by, uh, some type of, I guess, uh, authorities, um, spins around, manages to elude them. Um, and all the while the music is, is, you know, the music in Getty's vocals, you know, taking us on, taking us along for this ride. And, you know, the, the song begins with like this, you know, this beautiful, easy, you know, Alex just kind of, you know, picking very gently, um, you know, kind of builds and builds. And then by the end of the song, you know, we're kind of back to that, you know, where it kind of picks you up, drops you off, you know, sends you off on your, your next destination. Really just right. a, just a beautiful, and, and again, it's, it's, it's apropos that this album is called Moving Pictures because every song on this album is like a movie, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's its own little story, you know, its own little um, cinematic universe. I even love the cover. It's just so distinctive. I just know, mm -hmm. like, I can see that, like, mile away. I'll know exactly what album I'm looking at, like, without question. Red Barchetta is probably one of my personal favorites. Heck, I love cars. Um, but this was probably the ultimate tune to play while driving or like washing the car or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's right. Like Red Barchetta is, is it's brief, but yet it's so powerfully written. Um, it's, it's vintage rush. It's best. And it starts out slowly with some like basic guitar and bass work like before it picks up the speed as the story of this midnight racer just engulfs you. And I'll be honest with you, this is excellent and compelling storytelling. Like I, I just absolutely love this song and the music is ageless. And, and we're all trying not to shiver when we hear Getty's perfect you know, vocals delivering the lines in this song. And to me, this song never gets old um, to my ears. And the irony is my dad used to restore old vehicles. So yeah, it, it's just, it's personal, but truly it, it's a work of art in itself. Yeah. I absolutely love this song. And, and the great thing about it is that you, you don't necessarily have to be like a car buff, um, you, you know, don't. to, to really, you know, to understand the song, like to get, to get the, to get the feel of the song because it's so, it's so vivid. Right. It is, it's so it the, the picture that they paint with the lyrics and, and the music and the sounds that they're creating. It's so vivid. You know, you feel like 
you know, I drive a Yaris, I drive a Toyota Yaris, <laughs> you know, and when I'm in my car and that song comes on, you know, I, I could be this, this person in this, you know, in this red barchetta, you know, that's how, that's how vivid and, 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 you know, beautiful and descriptive this, you know, this song is. Yeah. I mean, I could see greens. I could, I could see reds. Like it's just, it just brings out your imagination really does. Mm -hmm. Really, really does. So moving forward, let's go to YYZ. YYZ, YYZ. Probably one of the most popular rock instrumentals of all time. Um, This was named after the International um, Airport Transportation Association. Uh, That's the code for Toronto Pearson International Airport. Um, So it's actually, well, I I guess it depends on where you come from. Here Mm -hmm. in the States, we call it YYZ. Um, and our lovely Canadian neighbors uh, refer to it as YYZ, which I think is much cuter. Um, so yeah, so this is the international code uh, for uh, Toronto Pearson International Airport, YYZ. Uh, it's Neil's, it starts out Neil's pinging that code, right? The YYZ on the symbol, right? Yeah, Alex and Getty jump in and they're playing the same rhythm, right? So as uh, the title would suggest, um, it's, it, you know, we're, we're, we're capturing the mood of an airport here, right? What goes on in an airport, you, it's, it's energetic, it's, it's exciting, it's hectic, it's stressful, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's so many things, you know? Um, there's an air of, of mystery, there's an air of adventure, um, sometimes a little sadness, you know? There's, there's joy, there's sadness, um, there are so many things, um, you know, going on, and, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's stressful and you know, sometimes it's, it's wonderful. And, you know, so, you know, they, they kind of, they, they grasp all that, right. You can, you can picture yourself in the airport again, you know, this idea of moving pictures, um, you know, you, you can see yourself, you can, you can see, I, I always picture whenever I hear this song, I always picture an airport um, on like a, like a time-lapse, you know, kind of thing where everything's moving like really fast, you know, kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm you know, just everything, just, just no pun intended, just flying by. Um, and just, just hundreds of people everywhere, uh, waiting online, walking, running, um, you know, There's all that many- kind of stuff, you know, and I know, I know when I travel, you know, I, I like to, I always like to, it's kind of fun to imagine like where everybody's going, you know, where they're coming from. Are they, are they, are they traveling for work? Are they going on vacation? Are they with their family? You know, are they, you know, going to a happy occasion? Are they traveling? You know, are, are they sad because they're leaving someone behind? So, you know, we, we get all of that in this in this song. Um, you know, Alex and uh, Getty and Neil are, are like are, are locked in this perfect synchrony, you know, behind Alex, you know, he's, he's playing these these really fun melodic hooks, you know, um, you know, and Getty and Neil are, are, are trading trading fills behind him, Alex swoops in with this like, this quirky solo, right? Um, with this exotic sort of flair, which, which he did on purpose, you know, again, to, get, to convey that sense of, uh, of drama, of, of adventure, of mystery, you know? Um, right, we have this beautiful heavenly keyboard break, which I always picture that as like, you, you've finally taken off and, you know, 
you know, like, like the, the plate is finally taken off and, you know, you can finally relax because you're, you're on your way to your destination. That's, that's always how I picture that, um, you know, how I picture that part. Um, you know, that main rhythm kicks back in again um, before they wrap the song up again by tapping out the Morse code. Um, you know, the three of them, uh, you know, playing that one final time. This song was actually nominated for a Grammy, by the way, um, in 1982 for Best Rock Instrumental. And they lost to my second favorite power trio, The Police, mm. um, who mm. won with Behind My Camel. So, mm -hmm. yeah, Rush is one of the bands. They've been nominated uh, several times for a Grammy. Um, and listen, if you're going to lose to somebody, it may as well be the police, right? So. Yeah, you're not kidding. It's not like they lost to a bunch of, you know, talentless hacks. I mean, it's the police. <laughs> you <know? laughs> You've got a point there, without question. Yeah, you know, and I have to agree with you, you know, without question. Um, this is one of the best rock instrumentals ever that I've ever heard. Um, uh, it's a shining illustration of uh, their their musical prowess as a power trio. And the beauty <laughs> is that they they demonstrate and, and function so well together. And it's never confusing or overwhelming, like the combining of the guitar, the bass, the you know, the percussion and the the synths. Everything <laughs> is you okay over there? Everything yeah. <laughs> is seamless to oh my god, drink some water. Seamless to create like this this perfect union. And if we listen to the live recording of this song on their Exit Stage Left album, uh, it's just perfection with an extra benefit of like being live and having an audience. And plus we have Neil Peart's um, uh, drum solo. I have nothing negative here, guys. Sorry, <laughs> excellent, sorry. Perfect everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, and on that note, well, let's, let's, let's go into Limelight. Thoughts? Limelight, Limelight. Mm. This, this, this fan favorite, it's so ironic. Um, it's ironic. Uh, this fan favorite. Uh, is about Neil's discomfort with fame and living in the public eye. And oh, wow. I, I don't see it, I don't see it in a negative way. Um, you know, um, Neil was a, he was a private guy, you know, that just was his thing. He, he was not comfortable um, with celebrity. He didn't want to be fake. Uh, he wasn't comfortable. So, you know, he wouldn't do meet and greets and, and things like that. That's not to say that Neil didn't, do things behind the scenes um you know he you know he he would meet with fans um you know he did things for like you know charities and and that kind of stuff and you know i guess if you approached him you know the right way he in in a lot of his books he and in interviews he he speaks well of the fan he always spoke well of the fans um you know he appreciated he appreciated us. He really did, um, you know, and, and understood what, you know, the band meant to us. Um, he just was not comfortable. He, he felt disingenuous, um, you know, in, a, in like a meet and greet, you know, kind of situation because he just wasn't comfortable and he didn't want to give somebody a bad experience, um, which I can appreciate. You know, people ask me all the time. They're like, oh, what do you think about that? You know, like, you didn't like me fans. And it's like, <laughs> It's like, well, yeah, that's, it's totally fine. That's his right. prerogative. I mean, it's, it's his life. He, he gave us so much. 
he gave us so much with, with his music and, and his lyrics and, and his books and everything that he did. I mean, wh right. why would you ask for more? Like, wh why would you ask for more from this man? You know, and mm -hmm. that's, that's just, and personally, you know, I would rather, I'm, I'm happy that he kept it that way because, you know, if I were in a meet and greet situation with, you know, with him and he just was not having it, you know, you'd be disappointed. And, you know, I appreciate the fact that he didn't want to, you know, disappoint anyone. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so there's, um, it, we, we kind of go back a little bit to All the World's a Stage, which was their first live album, um, you know, which the title, you know, suggests that, you know, um, at the time they were excited because, you know, they had the whole world before them at this point, you know, they were about to, you know, you know, about to, to release this live album and, you know, things were, you know, kind of starting to go better than they had been, um, you know, previously. So, you know, and then in, in Limelight, um, the lyric is uh, all the world's indeed a stage, uh, which kind of uh, hints that maybe life had become a little bit different uh, for the band in that uh, short period of time. And again, not that Neil didn't love the fans. Um, he did love and appreciate the fans. Um, it's just that he was not comfortable with, with being worshipped, you know? Right. You run up to him and be like, oh my God, oh my God, you're Neil here. You know, he, he was not about that, you know? Um, right. And that's, um, I, I respect that about him, you know? Yeah, you know what? Um, he, he was pretty humble for the most part. I think like he, he was. The, yeah, he was a quiet guy. And I kind of liked yeah. him, like, to be honest with you. But yeah. that's the honor that I enjoyed. And I, I wouldn't yeah. expect anything less. Um, you know, may you rest in peace from him. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and, and he, he died like he lived, you know. No one knew that he was sick and everybody around him kept it quiet. And, and that's, I mean, mad props to those people. That's, that's respect. That's love yeah. to have the people in, in your in your organization and your friends and your family, no one, no one leaked that. Um, and I'm glad because, you know, he, he died like he lived privately. And mm -hmm. I, I think, I think that's a good thing, you know? Um, right. And with that. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm getting a little emotional. So I'll give you my, my little spiel on the limelight. Right. And, and as we both know, yes, it was highly popular and well-known. And um, there was some amazing guitar playing here, um, combined with the bass and the you know, percussion and the synths. Everything was seamless to create like this perfect union of sounds and 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 feelings. And and to be honest with you, if you think the studio version of the song is fantastic, um, no, I can imagine like you know when it was live when we saw this live, it was just even more brilliant. And and you know. Neil, well, Neil Peart was a brilliant lyricist. I mean, this man was just genius and definitely a loss uh, to the music world when he passed away um, without question. So before I get teary-eyed and somber <laughs> without the Kleenex, let's go right into the camera eye. Okay, the camera eye. This is, um, this is, probably my favorite song on this album mm. um yeah yeah really? um and with with good reason yeah this mm. um well back in the day when albums had sides although actually vinyl is is all the rage once again 
Um, yeah. So side two of the vinyl, actually, and the cassette, um, opens with the camera eye. Uh, this was actually one of the, this was the last um, Rush song to clock in at over 10 minutes. So it's, um, it's written in two parts, right? And we compare, contrast, connect um, to the biggest cities in the world, New York City and London, in these uh, musical vignettes, describing the rhythm and the magic and, and the feel and the attraction of a, of a fast paced city. And um, I just, well, what I love about this song is I love the way it like, it fades in with the sounds of this busy, busy city streets, right? And uh, mm. those sounds were actually borrowed from the first Superman film. Um, I don't know if they had to pay like somebody for that, but um, you know, it's layered with these synth sounds, these snare rudiments, you know. So only you would know this stuff, Christina. Like, you know, <laughs> I have all this stuff tucked away in my brain. Ask me yeah. what I have for breakfast today. I have no idea, but <laughs> all this other stuff I know. <laughs> Right. So, you know, it's, um, you know, starts up with these synth sounds, some snare rudiments, um, you know, these Alex comes in with these heavy guitars, you know, and it's, um, it's just, it's just layered, you know, a lot like New York City, right? It, 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 it just, it paints this musical picture of the Manhattan skyline. It does. Part yeah. one, yeah. you know, and like, remember seeing this song live when, when Getty, things about the angular mass of New Yorkers, right? Yeah. And the crowd would just but go bananas. Looney tunes, right? <laughs> yeah. Like that's us. That's all us. us. Holy shit. Holy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Really great times, really honestly. Yes, yes. You know, mm. and, and it really, you know, really captures, really captures that <laughs> drama, you know, the drama of, of being, of being in a, uh, in a big city, right? Part two, we have like the same musical pattern, right? Um, and now we're in the, we're on the misty streets of, of Westminster, you know? Um, mm. And it's great because, you know, the scope and, and the size of these two cities, right? You think about, like where we, you and I are from New York City, right? We've spent our whole lives here. Um, yes, I've been to London. Um, have you been to London? Actually, have you ever been? No, I haven't been to London. Oh God, we gotta go. <laughs> oh, anytime. It's awesome. It's 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 an awesome place. And I remember, I, I purposely, when I visited London, I put this on my, you know, like I was listening to this on my headphones as I was coming up out of the tube. <laughs> As they call Remember, it. Remember, before we go to London, we've got to go to Stony Lake, Ontario. Yeah, first. yeah. And I was I was on my way to Westminster Abbey, and I, I had this song playing. Um, mm -hmm. I had to. I had to do it. I had to do it. So, you know, and and you know, these segments they, they really capture like just the vibe and the size, and the scope and and the wonder and and the power and the majesty of of these two cities. Like, it, it's really like it's wonder and it's expansiveness, right? You think. You think, imagine coming to New York City for the first time, you know, or trying to describe it to someone, you know, you know, you try to, you try to get that, just the idea of like the expansiveness and, and the height, you know, yeah, yeah. same thing with London and, and, you know, it really, again, you know, it's, it's, it's like cinema, you know, it's mm -hmm. like cinema for your ears, <laughs> if that makes any yeah. kind of sense, you know, where, where they're, they're able, you know, to just like, 
paint this picture of, of New York City and London, you know, and, and comparing the two, you know, um, comparing and, and contrasting the two. It's, I mean, th this is just the final grand adventure that we take with this camera eye and an 11 minute song of mystic and industrial vibes, mm -hmm. but it's pure, pure rush and it's pure marvelous. I yes, love it. I've said it all. I mean, I would just kind of add to what you said, but I can't say any more than what you have already. And being a, a native New Yorker, I mean, they just hit the nail on the head. Yep. Now, with, with that being said, and now having that hustle and bustle vibe behind us, <laughs> let's go to Witch Hunt. And this is what <laughs> songs. Go ahead, take it Witch away. Hunt. Witch, Witch Hunt. Hunt is another, another one of my favorite tracks. Um, this, this one, this is an interesting song. Um, it's actually subtitled part three of fear. Mm. And people say, what happened to part one and part two? Um, they actually went backwards, right? Um, so Neil, Neil came up with this idea of three theaters of fear, right? So in Witch Hunt, we're dealing with um, mob mentality. Uh, later on, um, The Enemy Within, um, which is part two, um, is how fear is used against us. And uh, the weapon, I'm sorry, uh, the enemy within, uh, internal sources of fear. And then the weapon, which is one of my all-time favorite Rush tracks, um, relates how fear is used against us. And then uh, actually on vapor trails, um, there's a part four called freeze. So in case you're wondering what part three of fear meant, <laughs> more, mm. more knowledge in my head. So this one deals with the idea of, of mob, uh, like, you know, um, mob mentality, right? So you have, you have this crowd scene at the beginning, right? Um, which is, it's really foreboding, it's really intense. Um, and this was actually recorded on a, on a cold winter's night um, outside the studio, outside of uh, the studio. The band, the crew, the studio staff, everybody gathered outside um, in the snow and the cold with a bottle of scotch uh, to form, Neil named them the, uh, the vigilante choir. Um, and, uh, right. So he kind of, Neil, that, that voice that you hear making the speech is actually Neil. Um, and you kind of hear, he's like, you know, whipping the, you know, quote unquote mob into a, into a frenzy. Um, so this is, this is actually the third time that, uh, I feel like playing that in the background right now. You're cracking me up here. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's actually the, yeah, that's Neil. And that's, uh, this is, that's actually the third time um, that Neil's voice can be heard on a, uh, on a Rush song. So it's layered, right? So the, so the, this mob sound, right? It's layered um, with these twisted, uh, creepy keyboard sounds and this, uh, this percussive, intense percussive, like a, like insanity, right? And you get this, you get this impression of, uh, impending violence right you can see the firelight contorting like angry faces and you know fists waving in the air hands waving these weapons in the air maybe um you know people with bats and pipes and you know um whatever torches in their hands um right so 
again, it deals with the dangers of, of, of things like xenophobia and religious zealotry, um, you know, which I, I it's relevant. It's relevant today as, as it ever was, you know. Um, it was relevant 40 years ago, it was relevant 40 years before that, and it's, it's relevant now. Um, so it's, it's, it warns against, again, the mob mentality and how easily uh, some people can be manipulated into things like uh, bigotry, baseless hate. Um, and I, I, I've always felt Getty's voice is really the star on this. Um, you know, his voice is so impassioned you know, especially towards the end, you know, quick to judge, quick to anger, slow to understand, uh, ignorance and prejudice and fear walk hand in hand. It's, I, I get, I get goosebumps, you know, just, just reading the lyrics, you know, um, <clears throat> and it's, uh, again, well, if I had to pick a favorite track from the album, um, it's Camera Eye. This is uh, a very close second, you know, just for all those, those reasons, you know, yeah, I mean, Witch I mentioned, Hunt, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, Witch Hunt is one of my, bar none, one of my favorite um, uh, Rush tunes ever. And I also love Red Lenses. It's obviously not. Yes. Um, I love Red Lenses. Yes. Red Lenses. That's a great, that's that's another, a great we'll song. do that another while. I love Red Lenses. I actually love that song. Maybe that'll be another um, uh, another podcast down the road. We'll cover that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but it's it's a dark tune. Yes. Um, and I, I truly, you could hear it in my voice. I truly love this song. And I, I feel like I'm in, I'm in Salem in, in like this witch hunt when I first heard this. So yeah, I mean, it, it could be, right? it could be applied to that. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I felt like when I, I first heard the song, I felt like I, I was seeing a movie rather than listening to an actual song. And right. if you were to turn off the lights, right. And just listen to Neil's in in the, in the first vocals of this track you you know it was just complete brilliance it's just one more for the great white north folks performing this 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 brilliancy for us to kind of enjoy i just really love this song this is definitely one of my all-time favorite rush songs really i mean that and absolutely with, 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 absolutely i i mean it just kind of this whole album really talking about this yeah i mean this is there's no turkey on this on this album like every there's no filler there's there's no i mean every every song i mean there's and again there's only seven songs and every song is is amazing you know each song is again a moving picture in its own right yeah really it truly truly is it's art it's art 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 okay now let's let's go to vital signs Christina. Vital Signs. So yeah, Vital Signs is actually the last track on the album. Remember I said there's only yeah. seven songs on this album. Yeah. Um, so Vital Signs. Vital Signs, this was actually um, a last minute um, addition to uh, the recordings. Uh, back in the day, you can only put like so much on an album, you know, only so much time on an album. So they had a little time um, and they kind of threw this song together. So it, it's kind of interesting because, you know, Tom Sawyer is just, is like, you know, the just like the, the definition of like hard rock bombast, you know, um, you know, this heavy driving, you know, um, you know, huge hard rock track, right? Vinyl Signs is a little bit of an eclectic curveball. Um, again, it was written spontaneously in the studio, um, right. like towards the end of the recording. 
you know, it's, it's this groovy little number, you know, um, and it, it draws from so many different things. It's, you know, it draws from rock and post-punk and techno and, and, and reggae, you know, like these guys at the time, you know, they're, they were a product of their environment, right? What were they listening to? Talking Heads, Elvis Costello, The Police, you know, um, you know, all the British new wave bands that were, uh, you know, happening at the time, um, you know, so there's, there's a little bit of everything in here, you know? Um, and you can, you can hear, you can hear them flirting with that new wave sound, you know? Terry Brown, who, who worked with them since like, you know, the beginning of time, um, he wasn't like super keen on this song at first. Um, you know, he, uh, he wasn't 100% sure of it. Um, I think it turned out great, you know? It, it's, such a, it's such a weird little song. You know, because there's there's so much going on. Um, it's got it's full of this techno speak, right? Um, and it's it's got this undercurrent. Like the whole song has this undercurrent of, of this mechanized synth, right? As the band is playing and as Getty is singing, um, it just kind of weaves its way in and around everything. And and uh, you know the synthesizers are are just so cool, and and the vocals are detached, right? If you listen to Getty's vocals, they're just they're so detached you know, and not cold, but, you know, the, the synthesizers are, are a little cold or a little cool, you know, and again, with Getty's voice sounding a little, a little mechanized, a little detached, um, and then there's like that, that police-ish, you know, reggae kind of flair, you know, which makes it like, you know, kind of warm and smooth, you know, um, you know, like it says, everybody got to deviate from the norm, I always thought this song really deviated from the norm, you know, um, when you think about Rush and, and what they had done up until this point, you know, to throw in a song like this was such a, such a, such a brilliant move, you know, um, you know, really once again, just kind of showing everybody that, you know, they weren't afraid to try something new, you know, something different, just kind of, just kind of be themselves, you know, and it, as it wraps up the album, it gives us like a huge hint of, you know, what was going to come as Rush moved into the 80s. Right. Right. And I think the, the vital signs, it had like this little jazzy flair with the guitar and the synthesizers. And, and at first, you know, someone like wouldn't really associate this with, with the band, but it, it overall it functions so effectively. So the bottom line is, right, it was we just kind of turn up the volume and enjoy the song for what it is, because it is a good time. And um, Neil Peart's lyrics kind of deviate a little from his usual style, but nonetheless still entertaining. And it was a great way, in my opinion, to end this album. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I totally agree. I mean, and, and again, the whole album really you know, it, it really showcases just, just different songwriting. They, 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 you know, they grew and, and developed so much, you know, and, and they went from just a, a few years prior, right. You know, writing mm -hmm. these huge progressive rock, you know, you know, sci-fi fantasy, you know, epic tracks, you know, 20 minute tracks, you know, so now we're doing four and a half minute songs, five minute songs, you know, um, mm -hmm. You know, the songwriting became so much more concise, so much more compact, so much 
Um, but, but it's still packed. It's still, it was still full of creativity, still, still packed, you know, packed so much punch um, in, in every possible way, um, you know, musically, lyrically, um, you know, they, they just, they were just changing so much. And it was such, a, it was such a perfect, it was like the planets aligned, you know, the gods smiled, you know, everything <laughs> just lined up perfectly to create mm -hmm. this album, you know, like, the, like, you know, permanent waves, you know, the, the tour was such a success. They went right back into the studio, really captured that energy. And it's just, everything fell into place. And, you know, that's never going to happen again. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that, that can only happen like, you know, once in a band's, a band's career. I mean, I, I think it kind of happened with 2112 as well. Um, you know, where, where everything just, you know, lined up beautifully and it just, it just, came together just so perfectly um but yeah if if i had to rate this album absolutely 10 of 10 i mean i'd, I'd give it an 11 if i could <laughs> you know um it's it's if you if you're listening to this and you don't have even if you don't particularly like rush um i mean i think you're high <laughs> <Right. laughs> <Sweet. laughs> um, i won't i won't hold against you but um, if, if you're a fan of rock music in any way, shape or form, um, you know, if you if you've never listened to this album before, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I didn't like these voice and the screaming, you know, there's no screaming here. There's no there's no high pitched shrieking. The last time Getty shrieked was was on free will. You know, that was like uh, the last time we heard any kind of like um, high pitched shriek from him. I, I, I kind of miss that. You know, I, I love the shriek. Um, but I also think Ringo was the cutest Beatles, so <laughs> you know, I'm a little weird. <laughs> yeah, you are a little bit Ringo, really. Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah. If you if you've never if you've never listened, to, and, and and that's kind of what I do when people you know say to me, "Oh, I've never really been like a, a huge fan. Where do I start?" You know, I, I always start them with moving pictures because uh, from here, you know, you can kind of go backwards and go into the '70s, or you can go forward. You can jump, you know. And, you know, if you like the 80s, you can, you know, kind of go with uh, the 80s sound. You can just jump ahead into the 90s, the 2000s. You know, it's, it's, to me, it's all good. Every, every period of the band is good. Um, but yeah, definitely, um, definitely a 10 of 10. So again, if you're listening to this, you've never listened to this band before, get your head out of the sand, get this right, album. Really. Crawl out of dirt. This, is, <laughs> that this is school. This is, this is school. This is like Dark Side of the Moon. This is, <laughs> this is school. <laughs> right. You know what? And if I would rate this album, I'm giving it hands down a 10 to 10. Um, that's my verdict. And and there there may not be a better illustration of a passion, um, caliper, and a force of Russia's music than this body of work um, from the Power Trio. It's it's truly a masterpiece of progressive rock that has and will withstand the test of time, in my opinion. 10 out of 10, folks, a must have in anyone's collection of music. Without Absolutely. Question. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. And with <laughs> that, that being said, what do we, should we conclude this for tonight's episode? Yes, I guess so. We've, uh, we've, I've been going on and on like a little chatterbox <laughs> you're great you, you, you're, you're just a fan of all time so I I'm, yep. I'm very very happy very thankful that you uh you asked me to uh to do this with you this is very special for me so oh, happy, happy, happy to do it with you of course oh, my, my 
my sister. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad you had fun. And we're going to be doing this again without question. Yes, and absolutely. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in with us here on tonight's Metal Pit podcast. And yes, and on this episode, I would like to dedicate this, of course, to the memory of Mr. Neil Peart. Yes. Who is no longer with us. May he rest in peace. He left mm-hmm. us with an unbelievable body of music um, and books and articles and you name it. So, yeah, props to the man. <laughs> Without question, yep, props to him. Rest in peace. And don't forget, everybody, play it loud. See you next time. Thanks for joining us tonight. Bye, everybody. Bye.